Today I have the pleasure of talking with Vern Kimball, CEO of Calgary Stampede Canada from 2006 to 2015, which was following 20 years in other positions in the organisation. That's a total of 29 years with the Calgary Stampede. How impressive. The Calgary Stampede is a not-for-profit community organisation that preserves and celebrates Western heritage, cultures and community spirit. Led by over 2,300 passionate volunteers, the year-round events, programs and initiatives invest in youth, support agricultural programs, celebrate Western culture and make a lasting economic impact on the city. Each year, Stampede Park hosts over 1,200 business, tourism, sporting, hospitality and community events and welcomes more than 2 million guests. These year-round events create thousands of jobs and contribute more than $400 million to the local economy. Today, Vern shares with us the process of renewal of Calgary Stampede and how they rebuilt the brand and reinvigorated the entire event. With new purpose and vision statements, Vern and his supportive and passionate board were on a mission. And what a story of success. Let's talk to Vern. So I guess the first question was more just around context to get more information in terms of your involvement with the Stampede. Um, So if you could just tell us about your involvement with the Stampede. And I'm also interested in, you know, how many years you were involved, how your involvement started, and then your role as, you were CEO, right? Was that the title, CEO? Um, Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, and I'm interested to know, you know, the period of time you were CEO for the event. Okay. Well, let let me start off by providing a bit of context, first of all, about the Stampede generally. Stampede is a year-round organization. It uh, hosts about 2,000 events every year. Gross revenues are about $140 each year, and $70 of that come during the 10 days of Stampede, and the other $70 come from the rest of the year. So that will make, uh, that's context for how I ended up joining the organization. I was recruited in 1986 to lead the food and beverage section of the Stampede. And the task that I was given was to make sure that the food and beverage team was prepared to deal with the 1988 Winter Olympics. And I quickly discovered upon arrival that the food and beverage team was underappreciated by their then uh, management. And so I told my boss at the time that he had a really good food and beverage team. What else would he like me to do? Because there wasn't a lot for me to do there. So I moved into sales and facilities and uh, did midway at Stampede, did long range planning. And then in 1994, I became the CFO. And I was chief financial officer from 1994 until 2004. And uh, when my boss retired in 2004, the board made me chief operating officer for two years. And in 2006, I became the chief executive officer and I retired from the Stampede in 2015. So that's the background. That's a long time to be involved. 29 years. Yeah, 29 years, yeah. Wow. But it had the scale and the scope to keep me interested, and I loved every day of it. It was a great gig. Wow. What were some of your highlights during that time? There were lots of highlights, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it was always about the people that I worked with. So 
when I was the CEO, Centennial was a big year. The flood was a big year. Every year was a big year in some way, shape or form. So it was, it was just a fun job in every capacity. Wow. You just don't hear of that these days, 29 years with one organization. At the Stampede, there's a lot of people that stay because it's, the 10 days is just so much fun. And as some people who've left the organization, they say what's special about the Stampede is that everybody comes together for that 10 days. So during the rest of the year, everybody typically works in their own area of specialization. But the 10 days of the year is sort of creates that feeling like Christmas. Everybody works like heck to make that be a special time. And uh, it really is a special time. And once you leave the stampede and you go do another job, you miss that sense of camaraderie and pulling together. So that's a big part of what makes the stampede special. Yeah, I get that. And I think a lot of events have that. And it's why a lot of people struggle with, you know, particularly when you talk about volunteers with events, they think, oh, my God, I can't put in so much effort again. But then they experience the event and, you know, it's just, you know, I always say it's like having a baby, you know, there's so much work that goes into it and preparation and then you think, oh, my God, you know, I could never do that again. But then you have it and you forget all about that hard work. All the hard work's forgotten about because you have such a good celebration and it's the outcome is so beautiful that it's, you know, let's do it again. Well, I can't really relate to having a baby. (laughs) At least that would be most awkward for me to try and relate to, but our volunteers are pretty special. There's 2,200 volunteers that, for the most part, connect at Stampede, and that's really when volunteers and employees have their greatest point of connection in terms of really making Calgary as a whole a special place. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, so, um, I mean, the, in addition to you being with the event for a long time, the Stampede alone has a really long history. Can you just tell me a little bit about how the Stampede started? And I'm really interested as well just to understand, you know, often events lose their way a little, you know, as they grow and develop and mature, they often lose their way. So I'm, I guess I'm really interested to understand what was that core purpose or the roots of the Stampede and are they still relevant today? Sure. The Stampede started in 1884 as an agricultural society. Uh, the city of Calgary at that time was a, had the size of 500, and uh, the agricultural uh, I should I, I should say the agriculture was the main uh, area of endeavor at the time in the area, and the volunteers were excited to put on a show that would exhibit their best, and part of it was about getting people from other parts of Canada to come in and uh, help develop the country. So. It was a commercial community building effort on the part of those first volunteers from 1884 through till about 1920-ish. The agricultural event was put on by fits and starts. Some some years it was a big success, some years it wasn't. And concurrent to that, but at a different time of year, beginning in 1912, um, Guy Wiedek came to town and he was a promoter from uh, the USA, and he wanted to create a Wild West show. And so he created a Wild West show in 1912 called The Stampede, and he envisioned that as a celebration of essentially the Wild West and cowboy culture, and it was a big success in 1912, but it was envisioned as a one-time event, 
And so it wasn't held again for several years. And then it was held in the early 1920s. And then both events recognized economic reality and decided to merge. So we had, on the one hand, an agricultural fair that wouldn't have looked much different than all the other agricultural fairs that were going on, I think, pretty much throughout the rest of the world. But what was different was um, it was grafted with this Wild West show. And so over the next 10 or 15 years, this grafting of these two very different events became one, although the tensions between the two lingered and probably still exist in some small way today. Um, so it's, it was an interesting merger. Uh, I think it's accurate to say it was a shotgun wedding of the two for economic reasons. But uh, the notion of the Wild West captured people's psyche. And uh, in some ways, the, the Wild West represented a nostalgia for a time that never was, but it was an imagined past period of cowboys being self-reliant and First Nations at that time, of course, they were referred to as Indians. And so it was all about cowboys and Indians. And that was something that was very special for North America. There were several movies made. Those movies were screened around the world. And so there was this identification of Calgary and the stampede being synonymous, um, even though everybody was really just a cowboy for 10 days a year, unless you were working on the range or on the ranch. And so there was that aspect to it. So for sure, uh, Calgary and the, or, and the surrounding area is ranching country, and that ranching country has cowboys, but there's not a lot of ranches that have a chuck wagon race to get to, the, to do their cookouts today. And I'm not sure there ever were. <laughs> it's all in the entertainment. It's all entertainment. That's right. That's interesting. It's really interesting you talk about how they merged and, you know, there's possibly still some minor tension there today because I, I've been through that situation myself with a number of festivals where, and, and often it is for economic reasons or human resource reasons, um, that mm -hmm. there's a need for you know, a couple of events within a destination to consider that option of actually coming together. And it's actually quite exciting if it's done well um, and adds so much value to both of those um, particular events and obviously creates some efficiencies, which is fantastic. Yeah, I love that story. So it's really about celebrating the West, the Wild West culture, is that, what's the, like, what, if you were to say the purpose of Calgary Stampede, what is it today? Well, today is different than that. So it celebrates Western heritage and Western values. So one of the things that helped us move and bridge this debate between are we an exhibition or are we a Wild West rodeo was to uh, soften the attachment to both of those and think about them as, in terms of what they had in common at the value level. And so if you go right back to 1884 and then in 86 when the first agricultural fair was held, what was it really about? It was about bringing people together to share some hospitality and to invite people to come and live in Calgary. 
And when you think about uh, the stampede, what was it all about? Initially, it was all about inviting everybody to participate. So a particularly or a particular historical moment uh, occurred in 1912 when the leader of the stampede took on essentially the federal government and invited all of the First Nations in the surrounding area to participate. And at that time, uh, First Nations were confined to reserves. They were not allowed to share their culture with anybody. And Guy Wiedek's vision was the stampede was for everybody. So the very first parade was led by First Nations, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, dignitaries. But the whole idea was that it was a community celebration for everybody. And if you forget about whether or not you're coming to watch skilled trick riders or coming to see the best of agriculture and think about, you know, you're coming together to celebrate being alive and all the bounty of, of the area, you can get past, is it really about the exhibition or is it really about the stampede? Because the answer is it's about both. And then the other piece of that is by forcing the discussion around what is it we're trying to do? And it's about community. It's not about agriculture. It's not about rodeo. It's about what does the community want to see? What does the community want to participate in? That kind of higher level purpose enabled changes to be made to traditions in both areas in a way that the community could embrace and continue to see themselves in those activities. Excellent. Now, during the time as the CEO, this was the stuff um, you spoke about at Gladstone, which really interested me was, you know, the event underwent that major period of renewal. Can you tell us about that? Um, And I guess I'm really interested, um, there's a couple of points. I'm obviously interested in how that all happened, but what were the key determining factors resulting in the need for that renewal? So how did you actually identify or what happened that made the board or yourself go, look, we've, we've got to renew, we've got to refresh? And also what would have happened if, or what do you think would have happened if that whole phase and period of renewal didn't happen? Well, I, I think the, the first time that I was aware of it, I was at a board meeting and I was the chief financial officer at the time. And uh, the then president of the organization had invited the mayor to speak to us. We as an organization weren't getting the support that we felt we should have from city council. And the mayor uh, said to us that it would be easy for council to support us as long as we got all of the citizens to tell their councillors that they should support the stampede. And so while that was a difficult message to comprehend and to agree with, because our preference would have been for the mayor to wave his magic wand and make all of our problems disappear, uh, some of us paid attention to that and started to keep our ears to the ground, ask folks what they thought of us. And uh, the short version that we used internally was that we were difficult to do business with and the uh, notion of us being one of the things that was tossed around was we were male, pale, and stale. And we didn't like that depiction of ourselves because, of course, we thought 
that we were working hard for the benefit of the community. But when uh, several people anecdotally had suggested that that's the way we were uh, seen, and uh, that caused us to think about doing some things differently. So to the board's credit, um, they commissioned a major survey of Calgarians to determine uh, what they thought about Stampede and what we needed to do differently. And so we talked uh, through a survey company. It was actually a reputation management company that did the work. And they interviewed community leaders. They interviewed in, on a one-on-one basis. And they did this for every sector. So they looked at the agriculture sector, the entertainment sector, First Nations, downtown business, small business. They looked at community leaders uh, or they had focus groups with community leaders in a very comprehensive way. So we had a good picture of how we were seen. And then we did a formal survey based on what we'd learned and surveyed 1,700 Calgarians. So $400,000 and two years later, we had a really good understanding of how we were seen. And that became the starting point for a number of changes. Those changes started right from uh, the level of mission statement, first, governance, second, master planning, third, and then execution of those over time. So we had a, when I talked earlier about how important it was to move from activities to values, we moved from a three-quarter of a page purpose statement that described everything that we did and could do and moved it towards a very simple purpose statement, which was to preserve and promote Western heritage and values. And concurrent to that, we created a vision statement, which was to become a, year, a world-class year-round gathering place. So those two statements became the glue that held all of the rest of the activities together. And so when you, th- you think about that and say, okay, so what do we need to change to fulfill those purpose and vision statements? The first thing that was determined was we needed to change the governance model. And the governance model evolved because there was confusion in the marketplace based on the surveys that they didn't know who is who and who is in charge of the stampede. And that precipitated me being employed as a first, firstly as chief operating officer and then chief executive officer. That was a big change for the board because prior to that, the president of the organization held executive power. But that was relinquished such that the board had one employee who was me and I was accountable for executing against the purpose and vision. And so that became my remit. And so moving from being really good at rodeo and being good at presenting agriculture were no longer what they were asking me to do. They were asking me to think about what what does Western heritage, what do Western values look like, and how do we express those on a daily basis? How do we express those in our product offerings, and what does it mean to create a world-class year-round gathering place? So another few hundred thousand dollars later, we had a plan. We had a billion-dollar plan to create a world-class year-round gathering place, and uh, we had no money, but we certainly knew 
that we had a, a, a dream that we could talk to Calgarians about because we were reflecting back in what we were proposing to do, what they had told us in the focus groups with community leaders and in the surveys with Calgarians so that they could see us uh, responding on their behalf. So that's kind of where it all started. And so my job was to communicate externally and to communicate internally. And uh, so once we had the purpose and vision, then we worked on the brand and uh, such that we spoke with, I think the language that I used was many voices, but one message. And it was all around that. And so we worked hard to make sure that everybody understood that what they were about was what they were doing before, but they understood why. And they were understanding the why in the context of that preserve and promote Western heritage and values and or creating a world-class year-round gathering place. So that was that piece. And then you asked the second question, which was, so what would have happened if we hadn't listened? Short answer is, I don't know. But what I do know is because we listened, we were able to uh, connect in a much more comprehensive way with the community. So we ended up with uh, new partners. We ended up with new sponsors. We ended up with government support. Uh, we ended up with all kinds of people wanting to do business with us. So that in 2004 or five, we had half the revenues we do now. We had half the sponsorship we do now. And, we've, and we added about $400 million worth of assets over that 10-year period. So some of that for sure would have happened uh, had we not changed. But I don't think we would have been anywhere near as successful at getting governments to say, the Stampede's a good organization and the Stampede is an organization that we can use to help us fulfill our objectives. So for example, we've done all kinds of Indigenous programming, and the government has supported us because we do Indigenous programming. They have an interest in tourism. We bring tourists to Calgary and then send them to other areas in the province because they make a week's holiday out of it. Or we connect with education. So we have probably 11 different departments that we actually work very closely with on various programs. So I think it worked out well. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And I keep thinking as you're talking about that and saying, you know, we connect well with the community as a result of listening, I can't help but think back to that video you showed at Gladstone, you know, post that flood where it showed, mm. you know, everybody just coming in to make the stampede happen. And I guess that's, you know, when you think about it, that that really is the result of all the work that you did, you know, and listening to community, engaging with community. And a lot of events forget about that. They get so focused on visitors and attracting visitors into town and, you know, that side of um, a festival or event, they often forget about their local community and the, the significance of actually, you know, having them as your, your ambassadors for your event. Well, we, uh, when I look at um, any organization, when I analyze the organization, I take a look at it and I think about, I almost draw two lines diagonally and in the one box on either end, I say, here's what you do. This is the factory. And then on the other end is here's what the market is. And that's two dimensions. But then there are two other dimensions. One is financial. And how do you get money? Do you have to borrow? Can you get borrow? Or can you borrow money? 
And then the other one is the social political dimension. And if you're, if you're a not-for-profit like the Stampede, which is different than uh, a for-profit, the investments that people make in an organization that's not-for-profit tend to be emotional investments and social capital as opposed to return on shareholder value or some other kind of typical stock market measure. Mm-hmm. We certainly had debt and we, were, and we had the capacity to carry debt, but really a, a tremendous amount of our growth was driven by saying to a sponsor, here's what we're trying to do. Um, here's what we think is in it for you as a company. Here's what we think is in it for your employees. They can get engaged in it. And our brand is good and it would look really good beside your brand. And if we have that trifecta, then you can participate. And to the extent that we, so we have one, one company, for example, that had some business objectives and they wanted to connect with a particular demographic. And so we knew that and it aligned with what we were trying to do. And so they purchased naming rights, uh, seven figure level, eight figure level naming rights um, that included programming, visual identity, and a genuine partnership with us. And it's a 15 year partnership. So those are the kinds of things where people looked at us and say, hey, we can work together for mutual benefit. So is the mayor now happy? The mayor, uh, yeah, the mayors, the, the mayors that I worked with were very happy to participate. And, and in, our, in our situation, we have a council of 15 led by the mayor. And our council has been very supportive of late. I, I think that it wasn't particularly supportive in the year 2000, but it became progressively more supportive. And when we had the flood, they were just one of many who made a phone call and say, can we do anything to help? And so they were, the city was terrific in terms of permitting and providing materials and lending equipment. It was, I mean, they were just outstanding. Fantastic. You talked about the flood. Mm. And I think a, a sort of for me, what was the testimony to it was or testimonial for how much the community cared was we had ordered 720 T-shirts that said Stampede 101, come hell or high water. Two weeks later, we'd sold 163,000, no, 162,000 T-shirts in the community. So that's a lot of t-shirts and we donated the proceeds to the Red Cross uh, flood relief. And so that was a two and a half million dollars contribution to the Red Cross, which was the largest contribution they'd had from any one organization. And it was all because citizens saw the stampede as an icon trying to make a difference. And they wanted to show that they cared. It was pretty special. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Uh, you may have covered some of this already, Vern, but my next question is what were the critical factors that had to line up to ensure the renewal process was successful? And, you know, I noted here things like community engagement, governance, sorry, the governance structure, the brand, and you've already touched on all of those different elements, but is there anything else in terms of what had to line up or what was a key focus for you in order for this renewal phase or this renewal process to be a success? 
for me, the big key was that I had the opportunity to work with some forward-thinking board members. So our board uh, had 28 members, and many, many of our board members were, were very accustomed to doing things the way we had been doing and really didn't understand why we weren't being appreciated because the, these board members are all volunteers and they all devoted hundreds of hours each year to this and they weren't being appreciated. So I think there was foresight among some board members to say, let's find out what people really think. And they supported me in doing a survey. And that's a courageous step to say, hmm, we're hearing stuff that we don't like. We should do something about it. And so to their credit, they supported very large expenditures of money to find out what people really thought. And uh, then they were prepared to act on it. So I would say being aware that there's an issue and not running from it and then having the courage to act on what you've been told. And I give a lot of credit to the volunteer leaders of the organization who said, yeah, we're going to do this. I mean, that really all happened. Although I was a part of the process, I wasn't, I wasn't the number one mover in that. I was the one who was a part of it and worked closely with some of the board members. But then once they decided what they wanted, then they asked me to then lead the charge from that standpoint. So I suppose the buzzwords today would be don't waste a crisis. But I would say recognize a crisis before it really becomes one because we were doing just fine in in, uh, 2004. It would have been just fine. We could have lasted, you know, who knows what would have happened. But I, the organization was not in financial trouble. It just wasn't uh, being seen the way we wanted to be seen. So, But I would give kudos to a forward-thinking and progressive board of directors. And I think that any CEO needs a progressive – and a progressive sounds like they're not. But any CEO needs the support and thoughtful support from its board, from, it, from their board. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, my next question is the stampede has not been without its challenges and we've already talked about the floods as one massive challenge, but what do you think has been the key factor resulting in the ongoing success of the stampede? Well, I, I, go, I go back to the notion of it was never, even though for many years we assumed it was our event, our event being the people that put on the event. And really, we had to understand that it was the community's event. So it doesn't do anybody any good to say we're doing everything right. What we learned was that we needed to make sure that our values conformed with the community's values. And that drove a number of changes in terms of, for example, rodeo. Rodeo at one time was essentially influenced heavily by the different rodeo event organizations. So the Pro Rodeo Cowboys Association and the Canadian uh, Pro Rodeos Association, very good, very organized folks, but they were interested in putting on an event that worked really well for the Cowboys. By us moving towards an invitational rodeo, what we were able to do is to say, we really respect what the two associations that we dealt with did, 
but we also pushed for some changes such that the rodeo was more urban friendly than it was before. So we were able to get the very best cowboys to come to our event. And instead of having hours of slack where cowboys compete, we brought in the best cowboys from all over the world because our guests wanted to see the very best. For an urban audience, they haven't grown up in the ranching community. They don't have the sophistication that a ranching community would have. And so by having the best of the best, we could market our rodeo as having the best of the best. We then put in all kinds of TV and commentary that showed an urban audience what was important in rodeo so people could really appreciate the sport. So again, it wasn't about doing a great rodeo. It was about making a great rodeo be a fun event for an urban audience. And so these are the kinds of things that we tested. We eliminated some of the events that an urban audience would say, this isn't kind to people or kind to animals. So for example, while cow milking didn't score well on our audience uh, measures. So while cow milking disappeared and some of the other events were modified to reflect uh, the urban sensibility. Yeah, it's very important. So what's next for um, the Stampede, an event that's got so much history and I'd imagine quite high expectations placed on it, you know, having had so many years of success What's your thoughts on how it can continue to stay fresh? Well, my thoughts don't matter much because there's a new guy in in charge now. But when I had coffee with him a couple of weeks ago, he had just come off the second best attended stampede that uh, in our history. And uh, so he had continued, or he and his team and all of our volunteers had continued to refresh the event and continued to make it more interesting and more exciting to the audience. And he was working very hard on uh, expanding our exhibition facilities and is optimistic that he would have a, uh, a $500 million development starting to go later this fall. So as he said, you never know until the money's in the bank, but he was very optimistic that there'd be a million development started, which would be absolutely fabulous. uh, Currently, the Stampede uh, has an economic impact of $400 He says that uh, once this development's up and running, that will add an additional $300 million in uh, economic impact. So I think the Stampede's just going to continue to grow and continue to build. I'd be surprised if in 10 years it doesn't double again in size. Wow. My successor's pretty impressive, and uh, he's got a he's got a great board that's supporting him. So, of course, any anything can happen in this crazy world that we live in. But as of two weeks ago, he was having fun and uh, enjoying the challenges of leading an organization. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. That really is exciting. How does that compare around the world, Vern? Like in terms of size and scale of an event organization. Is it up there with one of the bigger organizations? In, in many ways, I, I would think that the Stampede is, is unique. So it's really difficult to compare because if you were to look at rodeo, the benchmark for measuring rodeos is always 
prize money. And the NFR, the National Finals Rodeo, is the number one in terms of prize money. So they get the best cowboys and they compete for very large purse money. We similarly um, get the we get the same cowboys, but our our format is different. And so we have the half million dollar payday on the final Sunday, where uh, the winner in each event gets a hundred thousand dollars. So again, it's slightly different, but we would be top five on just the rodeo component. Uh, we would be certainly one of the largest fairs in terms of attendance on a daily basis. So if we do a million three hundred thousand, which is what they almost did this year, that's one hundred and thirty thousand people a day on average. There are other uh, fairs that do more, but they run over two or three weeks. So again, we have the highest intensity. And then I think what makes us very different from uh, any fair is the community participation. So in some ways, we would be more like a Mardi Gras or an Oktoberfest in something where the whole community comes out and participates. So the individual elements of the stampede have significant scale and would be among the largest in North America, if not the world. But over and above that, there's this tremendous sense of community where activities go on downtown, they go on in every community center, they go on in people's backyards, they go on every bar and hotel in the city. So because the community is so involved, it's quite unique. And the Stampede actually, uh, at least, I shouldn't say at least, the Stampede actually loves the fact that all this other activity is going down. and. So, for example, for a few years, one of our sponsors, and this goes back to Western Values, one of our sponsors said, Vern, I don't think there's enough people wearing cowboy hats. If I gave you $100,000 a year for a year, would you get some people in hats? And so we turned this promotion over to our breakfast committee. And when they were doing breakfast on the mall, they were giving out 10,000 hats to anybody who wanted a hat. And we didn't really care whether they wore a fancy Western hat or a straw Western hat. We just wanted them to participate in this notion of this is part of Calgary's Western hospitality. And so for, I think we did uh, our hat promotions for three, if not four years. So most everybody has a hat and because it's so easy to dress Western, it's basically jeans, a big buckle and boots or any form of denim and a cowboy hat. And people, it's nothing to see a line of cowboy hats coming into the stampede at any time of day. And frankly, during it's not uncommon to see Western dress year-round in offices in Calgary. But everybody makes special effort during the 10 days. It shows the impact, doesn't it, of events and what they can have, you know, year round for a destination and and for brand, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you start to see that brand filtering beyond the event and it starts to become more of, you know, that iconic feature of Calgary. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. It's, I guess it's similar to, you know, Mount Isa rodeo in Western Queensland, what that has done. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's obviously on a much smaller scale, but for us in Queensland, that's a significant event. And you know, it has become quite iconic. And whenever anybody talks about Mount Isa, it's, oh, yeah, rodeo. You know, so they refer to Mount Isa as rodeo. 
So um, it's the same kind of result, you know. The event does such a good job that all of a sudden the town becomes known as the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mount Isa Rodeo gets more people at the rodeo than they have a population. So that's that's certainly a great marker of success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my final question, in Australia there are many regional events and festivals that are struggling with burnout and this challenge of becoming stagnant. You know, they've been growing and they're on that trajectory but they've hit, you know, they've hit a wall where there's a combination of the volunteers and the community and the team getting tired and also with that comes the event becoming stagnant, so lack of innovation, not a lot of freshness coming into the event, um, not a lot of creativity. So I'm just interested what, you know, having been through this process in your career, what would be your tips for events that are in this situation? I think I, w- I think I would start much the same we did the same way we did in terms of having a good understanding of whether the reason the event was created in the first place still makes sense. And I think that's a hard question to ask, but really if if the mission of the event is no longer relevant or popular or needed, then it's tough to do anything with it. But And so for us, the answer to that question wasn't about doing a better job of activities. It was more a job about saying this was about bringing people together. So you talked earlier about sometimes people have to consolidate events because it creates efficiency. For sure, that's always a possibility. But when that's done, it's really key that folks agree on what it is that they're trying to achieve. And it may not be exactly what the two events were doing before. It's probably around some some kind of value, like we're going to create this excitement of this nature in this city at this time of year because that's what the community needs. And then if that research is solid, that provides a platform to then develop a plan for renewal. And I think there needs to be a plan for renewal that's pretty specific. So in our case, we are high-level statement was world-class year-round gathering place. Well, if it's just an event in August, then that's not going to be year-round perhaps. But what is it that, why is the event in August? Why does that make sense? What, why did people start that event in the first place? And then I think it's about once you have the plan and you should be able to say, this is going to be different than what we did before. And then it needs to be resourced. And so I don't have any tips for an event uh, because it's different whether you're sort of in that less than a million dollars, a million to $10 million, 10 to 50, 50 to 100, or 100 to 250, because you'll have different kinds of resources available to you as scale becomes a factor. So a smaller event is, of course, going to be way more reliant on volunteers. And I should have mentioned this earlier, but what was really critical as part of the survey work we did is we asked our volunteers what they thought. We asked them how they would feel if the stampede didn't exist anymore. And, you know, we did the old obituary thing. What would you say if the stampede ceased to exist? What would be, what would you write on the tombstone? 
Would you say so sad, too bad? Or would you, and we had these passionate outpourings from people describing the sense of loss that they would feel if they were creating the eulogy for the funeral of the stampede. It was a very interesting focus group. And it was a very powerful way of communicating what the stampede meant to its stakeholders. And so for me, I would think any kind of stagnation or sense that a renewal is required would be to talk to everybody involved and ask them how they think about it. Uh, what would they say if it ceased to exist? And what would they suggest would make it better? And would they be willing to participate if it was made better? And did they have any desire to participate? That would be the kind of foundational work I would do in considering any kind of uh, renewal process. I think the biggest thing you've certainly highlighted for me is something that a lot of events forget to do, which is that regular process of just going out and asking the community for feedback. You know, they get so, so consumed in just the delivery mode, you know, to just keep the wheels turning and actually do, as you know, it's a very heavily intensive process organising one event, let alone, you know, thousands of events. So what I see in my experience is a lot of these event committees or boards just get so bogged down in the delivery of the event and making sure that they continue to deliver something that they don't Mm -hmm. often stop to think, hang on, are we still relevant? You know, are are we still actually delivering what our event attendees want or what our community wants? I think that's a big highlight you've made today, which is a excellent message and to put it into context with what you've done with Calgary and what the board has done through Mm -hmm. the whole process of renewal is um, really exciting. Yeah, I can tell you it was a lot of fun. So Mm -hmm. uh, from my point of view, and I think it can be a lot of fun for any organization because that renewal process creates a sense of energy. So if there's a sense of stagnation or a sense that renewal might be required, just saying, okay, we need to do something different. How do we do that? And then having those conversations with others is really energizing. For sure, not everything you hear is going to make you say, wow, isn't this a great day? But it starts to create a baseline for you to say, okay, we need to do some things different. And sometimes critical feedback causes you to think about things differently than you otherwise might have. And that is energizing. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's I do a lot of that work with these events in terms of, you know, strategic planning work and sustainability. And yeah, I myself get a lot of satisfaction out of it. I think the biggest challenge I have is um, often a challenge when you've got board members that of a particular event that just can't see the opportunity, you know, and, and are sometimes over quite overwhelmed by that sense of vision or or thinking strategically they're so used to being operational and and having that hands-on involvement in where are we set up the cattle yards and what color will we put chair covers will we put on the gala board yeah i think every sorry I, i think every board struggles with that i mean we're all really comfortable deciding what color to paint the washroom yeah and much less comfortable deciding where we're going to go And so I I think that that is not uncommon. 
And I think that that is where whoever the leader of the organization needs to say, well, we need to change and here's the things we need to do differently. But you can't do that till you've got a good understanding of where you want to go. And I think most people, once a game plan is put in place, can buy into it. And I would tell you that I wouldn't be the least bit surprised that when somebody's presenting the new game plan, somebody's going to say, what color are we painting the cattle pens again? I think that just is part of human dynamics in every every area of endeavor. Yeah, well, that's, that's lovely to hear. It's very reassuring. <laughs> Look, thanks for your time, Vern. 